Hi, this is Joel Knox from the Vineyard Church in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad that you're interested in our podcasts. Our media is available to you free of charge, and it always will be. But if you'd like to help us out, you can go to our website, vineyardbrenham.org, and make a donation there. We'd appreciate it very much. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you, fellas. Well, good morning. Good morning. I don't know. I, 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 when, we, when we were doing this, we were all excited, and then it's all like, well, this is kind of weird. But so um, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one who feels feels like it's it's weird. But uh, but it's going to be fun whenever we can just sit down and eat when we're done, right? Right. So, okay. So as, as long as we feel uncomfortable together and know that things will go back to normal, and so, okay. Well, um, I'm sure just about everybody in this room recognized the song that I played. I was, I was told that, that my songs are, that need to be updated, and, uh, and I, I, was, I was thinking about the, the fact that, um, you know, this, this show came out, Mission Impossible, when I was a little kid. And I think I just about drove my parents nuts because, well, let me finish, Mom. Uh, but uh, I think when it, whenever this song, this song came on, when the show came on, and I, I didn't even care anything about the show, the music just drew me in, you know? It's like, oh, man, this is exciting. And then there were like, you know, dialogues and, you know, and they were talking about spy stuff and, and whatever. But... The thing that I thought was really awesome about the whole, the whole thing, you know, it's spies and stuff. Do you remember they had the messages that were on some kind of tape? This message will self-destruct in 30 seconds. And, you know, that, that was probably one of the coolest aspects. You know, of course, then there was Inspector Gadget and kind of making fun of all that stuff. But, you know, it, it, I, I just always liked the TV show as a little kid. And then it had a revival in the, in the 80s, like 88, and that didn't really catch on very well. But then the movie series started. Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, you know? Okay, come on. Have y'all ever watched? Okay, okay, I'm just, just, just checking. Well, I don't know if you knew this. And it's kind of like the Rocky movies, but now I think they're up to, to um, Mission Impossible 5. I, I, when I was, was, was getting my stuff together, there's actually, they're, they're getting ready to release number five this summer. All right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, if you like those movies, and I got to tell you, the, the one that, that this last one, whenever the, the the Ghost Protocol, you know, they're in the they go up to what what that that really high that tower, whatever is it in Dubai? Did, did, are, are, is anybody tracking with me? I, I saw this. I'm terrified of heights. And they're, and they're like dangling out the window. And, they, and this is like one of the tallest buildings in the world, if not the tallest. I mean, it's just terrifying. Yeah, I, I watch those things. I get, you know, I get queasy. You know, I, I, I just have to, have to turn it off. But, you know, it was in the movie, so I, I suffered through it. But um, anyway, this morning we're, we're continuing our, our series in Hard Conversations Reflecting Jesus while we face the issues. And I'm calling this installment Mission Possible. Giving space to the Holy Spirit to do His work. Now, when, when we talk about the issues, and this is kind of what we've been doing for the, the past several weeks, and, and we won't do this forever, so, uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad that you have, have stuck with me so far. Um, but we, we need to learn how to discuss the issues we face without going to war with each other. That's, that's been the premise of everything we've been talking about. And I don't know if you've recognized this, but if you get more than one person in a room together, there's a chance that those two people are going to disagree with each other. Right? Now, start adding in more people into that room, and the chances just start rising exponentially. And so when we get in a room that's this size with this many people, what are the chances that we're all going to agree with each other? Pretty slim. But we have to ask ourselves as kingdom people, can we do kingdom business in a way that glorifies Jesus and builds up the church? Can we do that? I started the series with the idea of allowing love to build a bridge to share truth with those who God might bring across our paths. We all don't start at the same point. I think we recognize that. And so we need to create these on-ramps for people so that they can, they can understand when we start trying to share truth with them where we're coming from. And then last week I asked the question, well, what's love got to do with it? Because, you know, it, is it possible to be right and be loving at the same time? Because, you know, let's face it, you know, we, we like to be right. We like to be on point. We like to be able to say, yeah, you know, uh, I told you. And it doesn't feel good being somebody telling you, I told you so, but it, you know, a lot of times it feels good to be able to say, see, I told you so. We want to be right, but can we be right and be loving at the same time? We need to learn how to do the loving thing and reflect who Jesus is and everything we think and do. So this week I'm going to go a little step further and build a little bit more on what we've discussed. In the Gospel of John... Chapter 17, I read a little bit of this last week. I'm going to expand it just a little bit. Verse 20, Jesus was praying in the garden. 
And he, he, he was talking to the Lord and he said, My prayer is not for them alone. And this is talking about us. Anybody that would believe the, God, the, the, the disciples' message. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, as you are in, as you are in me and I am in you. That's funny how that looks on the page. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. According to what Jesus is saying there, there's really only one thing that will testify and give testimony to who He is as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Those who follow Jesus and call themselves Christians live together in unity in His name. Now, unity is defined as the state of being united or joined as a whole, like a union of states. And it a lot of times involves a cause. There's always a reason why they come together and make this union. The state of forming a complex and, com and pleasing whole, meaning cohesive, things go together, kind of like in an artistic com context. If you look at a painting, you know, you see a painting and there's, you know, the, the colors, they blend in really nice and then and somebody sticks something over here on the left side, that's not really unity. It, it goes together in this, in this cohesive picture. A thing forming a complex whole. And this is kind of the language of the Trinity when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That they make this whole three separate things that are combined together. It's a complex whole. Now... We live in one of the most divided times in our nation's history. I think I've mentioned that just about every week that we've been in this series. And it seems like there's nothing that we can hold in common. Politics, you've got the alt-right and the radical left and everything in between. And then there's, you know, sexual ethics. Men versus women. And then, you know, the concerns that the LGBT crowd have. We have racial and cultural divisions. And now we have a Super Bowl that has the Patriots and the Eagles in it. <laughs> I've, actually, I saw the night that, uh, that after the Eagles won the, the, the championship that several of my friends were saying that they were going to boycott the Super Bowl because, you know, who wants to root for the Eagles and the Patriots, you know? So... But is it possible in our day and age to experience the unity that Jesus was praying for? Is it possible? I think it is. I believe it is. It's a matter of allowing that unity to take hold and take shape in our, in our, our context. Now, the early church took great care to protect unity, but if you read in the book of Acts, they kind of got off to a, to a rocky start. In Acts chapter 11, 
Luke writes, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord. Jesus, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this, this is being written after Stephen had been murdered for his faith in Jesus. And the Bible tells us that his murder, that, that act of being stoned in, in a public setting, set off this, this wide persecution of Christians. So Christians were leaving Jerusalem in droves. And they were going anywhere that, that they might find sanctuary. Now, the interesting thing about the first century church, you know, even though that they were in distress, even though that they were on the run, they shared the gospel everywhere they went. I think that's, that's, that, that's got to be notable. No matter what they were doing, where they went, they shared the gospel. Now, in our text, Antioch, and I, I, I thought about putting up a, a map, but I couldn't actually find Antioch on any of the modern maps. But, um, but if, if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, and this might be something you want to do this week on Google, and you can, you can look it up on Google Maps. But it was nestled in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea. It was between Syria and Israel, if you can imagine. Like I think we've seen, we know, kind, of know, kind of know where those are on the map. Well, they were toward the north. And then north of, of them was the, the country, the modern country of Turkey and southwestern Asia. So if you can imagine, it, it's, it's just a little place that's just kind of out of the way. But interestingly enough, those who were traveling from the Middle East to go to places like Rome and to go to places like Athens and Greece and to, and to go towards Europe, they would take the route, if they didn't take a boat, they would go around and pass through Antioch on their way westward. So just to give you an idea where this was. Now, the text describes how believers from Cyprus and Cyrene, these were coastal regions that were nearby to Antioch, shared the gospel with the people of Antioch, and it resulted in a church being planted there. The difference with this church and maybe anywhere else was this church was largely made up of Gentiles. Now, that when we're talking Gentiles, you know, Jews and Gentiles, I, I, I went to Bible school up in, in Missouri, and then whenever I came to Bible school in Texas, I was given the nickname Gentile, which, which literally just means an outsider, someone who does not blend in, someone who's seen as a sinner. So, you know, okay, thanks guys, appreciate that, but... But, but the fact was, those in Jewish circles looked down on those who were Gentile. And the early church, if you remember, whenever, whenever Peter makes his proclamation on the day of Pentecost, and he makes the appeal for men to be saved, 3,000 people came to the Lord. 3,000 men, possibly somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6,000, say. But of those people who heard him preach, the majority of them were Jews. 
And they accepted the, the gospel message and became Christians on that day. However, if you read the text, Antioch was the first place where people actually referred to people who were of the way, that was the term that was used. The first time they used the term Christian was whenever they came across what was happening in Antioch. Now, if you can imagine, these are people that don't have a, a Hebrew background. They, had, they might have never been exposed to the, the Hebrew law that was handed down from Moses. So, in their context, they just heard about who Jesus was and they responded to the message that Jesus came and died for our sins. And they were excited about that. And, and according to the text, and, and, and I, I, I need some more research, resources to be able to find out how, how big the church actually got, but, it, but when you read the text, you can tell that there was something exciting going on, that there was actually some growth, and there was just an, an amazing amount of things that were happening in Antioch. They were seeing signs and wonders. They were seeing people come to Jesus. They, the, the healings, deliverance, I mean, all and all and all and all. And they were excited about what was going on. And as you can imagine, you know, when something's going on like that, it's like, man, we should go on like this forever. Well, everything did go on fine for a while until we get to Acts chapter 15. And it says, certain people came down from Judea, and interestingly enough, that's not down, it's up, but I think they were Texan because everybody goes down everywhere, right? <laughs> you know, nobody ever goes up, it's always down. So, anyway, certain people came down from Judea and Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, I failed to mention that as part of what was going on in Antioch, Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem whenever they got word. Barnabas went to, to Antioch and was, was working with the church there, and he actually went and found Paul and asked him to join him in the work that was going on in Antioch. But they, things are going along well, and then all of a sudden these people show up, and they're, they're, they're talking like, well, yeah, uh, sorry, but... This isn't how it works. You're going to need to be, become a Jew in order to be a Christian. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of, it's kind of like how things work, right? I mean, you know, we're, we're, everything's going along and then, then somebody has to mess it up. This is why we can't have nice things. And so these, these Christians who were so excited about their newfound faith they begin to ask questions. Am I really saved? Do I have to become a Jew in order to be a follower of Jesus? You know, and I mean, let, let's be honest. The, the whole idea of, of being circumcised in an, as an adult male. And I know that, but, but this is the discussion that was going on. Do I really have to do that in order to be, be a Christian? You know, it, I mean, if that was the case today, think about it. Uh, 
but anyway, yeah, that's, let's move on. Now, some scholars suggest that the Apostle Peter was part of this contingent that came from, from Jerusalem. It doesn't say in, in the book of Acts who the people were. But in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he referred to having a dispute with Peter about how he interacted with the believers in Antioch. And Paul also suggested that Barnabas was even affected by the dispute. In the book of Galatians chapter 2, and I'll just read this for you, verse 14, Paul writes, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Paul, or Peter, in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow, follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in, in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the, by, by the works of the law no one will be justified. And basically what Paul was saying was, the law isn't what saved us. And that's pretty much what Paul wrote to the Galatians. It's not the law that brings salvation. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, whether this was actually what happened in Acts chapter 15, we don't know. And it's just... It's just to get us to understand what was, what was going on, though. This, this was happening, and, and people were being affected by this, by this dispute. The motivation that this group had in going to Antioch was not out of concern for the believers and their faith, and it definitely wasn't about being unified with them in faith and practice. The group's focus was on something else, and... And the future of the church was at stake. Do you, I mean, just think about it. If this is what it takes to be a Christian, will this affect how people respond to the gospel message? And I just want to say this morning, emphasizing differences leads to division. I think we've seen this in our country. We start focusing on how we're different from each other, and sooner or later, we're, we're going to find that, yeah, we don't agree. And you continue on down that road, you know, and that, that leads to more fighting. It leads to more squabbles. That leads to more confusion. And before we know it, we're, we're at odds with one another. And chances are we don't even remember why we're mad. We just allowed ourselves to focus on what would separate us? Emphasizing distinct beliefs over the main and the plain of the gospel message often leads to division. The updated World Encyclopedia in the year 2000 estimated that 33,000 Christian denominations exist in the world today. I, I, I said that. 33,000. 
you know, and I, I th- some of us, you know, if you, if you came from a Baptist background, you, you, you might recall, like, how many different Baptist churches there are, you know? I mean, and then you go into the Methodist churches, and, and any of them, and, and you know, in the vineyard, we're not, we're not exempt from that. I mean, you know, the, we separated from the Calvary Chapel Church, you know? But the divisions, you know, and, and yes, you know, there's, there's more churches, but we don't agree. And the reason for there being so many was because they didn't agree with one another. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Massachusetts estimated that there are 34,000 denominations in the year 2000, rising to an estimated 43,000 in 2012. And these numbers exploded from only 1,600 in the year 1900. That doesn't sound like what Jesus prayed for for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. His prayer was, make them one, Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Catholics, Methodists, Episcopalian, Assembly of God, Lutheran. Make us one in Christ. St. Augustine, the early church father and bishop of Hippo, famously said, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. You know, when we focus on the things that are essential to our faith, I think we can find things that we agree on. You know, the fact that, you know, Jesus was, was born to the Virgin Mary, that He was crucified, and He was buried, and He rose, rose again. Those are essential things. And we might disagree with each other how we baptize. We might disagree with each other how we take communion. We might disagree about how we see the eschatology, you know, the, the end of the, of the world. But the things we can focus on are the things that are essential to our faith. And Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Our doctrines and dogma, they're not the most important thing. Maintaining our unity is. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in in, in the first letter, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Unity of thought and, and purpose are powerful things. I love the history of, of World War II. My father happened to be a paratrooper in, in the 101st Airborne, and so I have done some research on, on, on his time in, in the armed forces. But, but when you look at what was going on in, in the early 40s, I've heard story after story, in, in just researching my, my dad's company, of, of young men who faked their way into service. They lied on their application, said they were 18 years old, and they might have been 15, 16, 17 years old. 
when my dad didn't get drafted and every, every one of his friends and neighbors got drafted, he went to town and he, he noticed that people were kind of looking at him funny. And so he went into the draft office and, and uh, said, um, I, I'd like to know why I haven't been drafted. And, you know, and they kind of looked at him a little funny. And, you know, people were looking at me funny and all my neighbors had been drafted. And, and so they looked down in the book and they said, well, it says here that you're married. Dad was 21 years old. He hadn't been married yet. And, and, and he said, well, I, I'm not married. Oh, we can fix that. <laughs> Two weeks later, he got a letter from Uncle Sam. But, but when you think about that kind of attitude where everybody wanted to pitch in and help, it wasn't a, it, yeah, there were, there were hardships. You know, you can, I, I like to watch It's a Wonderful Life, and they talk about the scrap drives and the rubber drives and the paper drives, and, you know, and then they did the lights out and all that kind of stuff. That was really harmony that came out of this unity of purpose. We, 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 want, we want to win this war against the Axis powers. We want, to, we want to defeat the enemy, and so we'll do whatever it takes. Now, in Acts chapter 15, we go into how, how the disciples and how the church set about to, to resolve this conflict. Because, you know, the church in Antioch wasn't being fairly represented. So in Acts chapter 15, verse 6, and I won't have the text here for you. If you've got a Bible, you might want to follow along. But, but Paul and Barnabas and a few from, from Antioch went to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the church. And they were going to talk about this. How can we, how can we resolve this? We've got a, a church full of people that do not have a, a Jewish background. How can we integrate them into the church? How can they be accepted as part of, of what God is doing in the church? And so they, they, they go to Jerusalem, and in their discussion, they, they meet and they talk for a while. And in the discussion, in verse 7, Peter got up and, and he addressed the crowd. Now if you recall, in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter had gone to the house of Cornelius. Now for a Jewish person, that was a no-no. You don't go to the house of a Gentile. That's, you're, you're going to a house of a sinner. And in the course of, of his visit with Cornelius, the Lord showed him not to call those who were Gentiles unclean. He saw a vision. God showed him and he said, don't call unclean what I, I have declared to be clean. And he was referring to the Gentiles. And so Peter goes before the council, and he recounts this to them. And again, we don't know about whether this was, this was part of that conflict that he and, he and Paul had. But Peter said before the, the, the council, Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows my, the, the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as He did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Now, why do we try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors could, could afford to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, 
just as they are. And then after Peter gave his statement, Paul and Barnabas came up before the group and they began to describe what all was going on in Antioch. And I'm sure they described how people were being saved, how they were being brought in out of uh, lives of, of prostitution. Because that was, that was one of the things with, with the gods in the area, that prostitution was part of their worship. And so they would bring these people in out of, these, out of, out of the sex industry, essentially, in order to be part of the, the church community. And they told how, how pe- people were being saved. They told how people were being healed. They told how people were being set free from, and from demonic activity. Because, I mean, this was the kind of thing, if you read through Acts, everywhere Paul went, they encountered some sort of evil spirit in, in, in among the, the Gentiles. The kind of worship that they had opened them up to these evil spirits. And then when they, they came in contact with the gospel message, they were set free. So Paul and Barnabas are telling their story. And people are getting on board. It's like, man, I, I wish stuff like this was going on in Jerusalem. You know, Antioch has it going on. And so finally, after, after they gave their, their testimony, then James, the brother of Jesus, spoke up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described how, to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will, I, will, I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. And he, con- he concludes by saying, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat strangled by animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So what's he saying? So we've, the, the message of the gospel is out there. And we don't need to get in the way of what God is doing to bring those who are hearing the gospel message to come to Christ. So the meeting concluded with the leaders of the church writing a letter to the church in Antioch, and it read the apostle, to the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Saul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. And this is what I want us to look at this morning. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and they went down to Antioch where they, once again, went down, where they gathered the church together and they delivered the letter. And the people who read it were glad for its encouraging message. Now I know I've read a whole lot here this morning. 
But it, it's important to understand that, that we, we've got to work for unity. And we need to look out for one another. That's, that's the whole purpose of unity. That we're looking out for the good for everyone else. And, and when we would look at what, what took place, you know, they, they, they could have had their meeting and they're like, yeah, well, this is what we're going to decide to do. But it, it also says to me that whenever they said it, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That they were actually listening to what the Holy Spirit might have to tell them. That, that's a kind of a neat thought, isn't it? To see what the Lord has to say about something. You know, if we're having a problem, if we're having a, 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 an issue, to see what the Lord is saying about it. What, what is God trying to tell us? What is try, God trying to get across to us? And I, I feel like the Lord opened the eyes of leadership to see what God was doing in Antioch. You know, John Wimber used to say, the church needs to find out what God is doing so we can bless it and participate in it. And participate in it. You know, he said, look for what the Father's doing. What is God doing? What's God doing? What's God trying to do? What's God wanting to do? Where do we feel like God is leading us? Where do we feel like God is, is, is taking us? And then when we see what God is doing over there to be, actually be able to bless it, because, you know, it may, may not necessarily be us. It may not necessarily be our work, but we can bless what God is doing and be part of the whole process. That's the way I think about it anyway. That's what happened in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas told the council what God was doing in Antioch, and they blessed it. God was at work, and they recognized it. And the whole church was able to benefit from it. We experience unity when we bless what the Father's doing. Now, this isn't a passive exercise. I mean, we have to be open to what God's actually saying to us. We ha actually have to, to look and see what God is doing. And, and sometimes we look at stuff through our, our carnal eyes, to use that term, but we just see, see what's on the outside. We see, you know... We just see a person. And we don't see actually what God's doing. You know? We need to allow ourselves to let the Holy Spirit show us what He's doing. And then, you know, when we ask and, and, and He shows us to be able to bless that. I mean, and I think most of the time if, if we actually saw what God was doing, we'd be willing to bless it. But we don't necessarily see it. And we get caught up in our own stuff, so we can't really see it. And then, and then we wonder why things are the way they are. Unity leads us to cheer for others when we see what God is doing in them. We cheer for the other, the other person. You know, like if, if we see what God's doing in another church, God bless them. You know? We don't have to do it. Thank God that somebody is doing it already. You know, but of course, then we, we have to find out what God is calling us to do. You know? I mean, that, that's how this is supposed to work. And then, you know, we can actually get on the same page with each other and actually bless what God is doing, 
you know, around this community. And I think when we start doing that, we start seeing things change in ways that we might never even imagine they could ever change. Jesus told his disciples, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Where two or three gather together as followers, I am there among them. We've gathered together in the name of Jesus this morning. And that promise applies to us. Anything that we ask, now the deal is we, we need to be asking according to His will. And so we've got to give space for the Holy Spirit to do His work. That was, that was really the title. Mission, mission possible, giving space to the Holy Spirit to do His work. Unity is the space where the Holy Spirit works. Unity is the space where the Holy Spirit works. And so this morning, I'm not really sure what to do. We've got a potluck. And I want to make sure we get to start on time. But I also feel like that there, there are those of us here that we want to, we want to be able to, to be part of what God is doing. I, I, I believe that with all my heart. I think we all want to be part of what, what God is doing. And we just kind of have to get ourselves out of the way. You know? We have to get past ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm talking and the things that are coming out of my mouth are not the way that they sounded in my head. You know? And I might have meant well in what I said, and it wasn't taken the way that I intended it. You ever have that happen to you? And so it's, it's necessary to do some, some homework in this kind of thing because... You know, we want to we be in unity with each other. We want to be part of what God is doing. And we want to give Him the space to work. But, you know, that means that we've got to take care of business too. So, let me get you all to stand. And I just want to ask one question. Just want to ask you one question. Do we want to participate in what God's doing? Do we want to participate in what God's doing? The Lord is more ready for us to participate in what He's doing than we are, you know? He's ready for us to get on board. We just need to take care of our business so that we can get on board. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come.
I ask you to, to move in us the ways that you see fit. Like in the book of Kings where Hezekiah laid out the plans before the Lord and and he said, I, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Lord, I, I ask that, that, you would, that you would do your work in us. Lord, there might be some forgiveness that needs to take place. There might be some need to let go of an offense. There might be need to to go to someone. But Lord, I ask that you would, out of the spirit of unity, God, that you would that you would unite us, that you would bring us together, that you would would let us do the things that need to be done to maintain your unity. And God, I pray for those things that are difficult, Lord, that your spirit would come and make those things easier. That you'd give us grace, that you'd give us mercy. God, we need you. And we're just trying to find our way, Lord. And I pray that, that through your spirit, you guide us so that we can be the church that you want us to be and that, that we can give you the space to work so that we can glorify you. Father, we give you praise. We give you honor and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.